Hello guys, not the Top 20 podcast, Monday podcast, the first of three this week, it's a tripod week, it was last week wasn't it, uh, a standard Monday pod, uh, standard Thursday betting show podcast, and an extra NTT 20 meets, this series George, it started with you talking to Michael Appleton back in October, um, we've had four episodes now and this is... Uh, it's working out pretty well, isn't it? On on all levels, this has been has uh, been an unbelievable reaction to NTT Twenty Meet so far. Yeah, it's it's been very good. I'm looking forward to the day that I get to sit in front of a manager again. This is uh, something you've very much taken on, um, and fair enoughly so, I must say. Um, well, let, let's clear anything up in case anyone's worried that we're falling <laughs> out. It's very much a question of uh, time. True, uh, of of you having a proper job and me not having a proper job, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm performing most of these interviews on your Tuesday mornings and your Wednesday afternoons. But, and, and you, quite rightly, because you have an honest job, uh, you can't do those. Um, but interestingly, there was, there is going to be an NTT 20 meets at some stage with someone who isn't an ex-player who we nearly had last week and hopefully they'll be coming soon and I'll definitely be in the hot seat for that. And uh, yeah, I, think, I know he listens to the podcast, so we're looking forward to getting that sorted pretty quickly. Look, we always had an idea that we wanted to sit down properly with people and we never really did that many short interviews on the podcast over the last few years because we... We didn't really rate the sort of standard sound bites that, that you might get if you just did, you know, your sort of standard football media questions. Um, and we didn't want anyone to come on the podcast and feel like they were talking to uh, a national radio outlet or the local media or something like that. And I think we've, I don't know how much we planned and how much we lucked into it, but what we found with the four guests we've had so far, and hopefully therefore um, something we can almost demand going forward with future guests is, a real honesty, uh, a real openness and a sort of informalness that I don't think is necessarily being replicated elsewhere. And, and I'm aware this is bigging ourselves up, but this is based on a lot of the feedback we've got. People are really enjoying hearing these guys talking as people. The amount of messages we've got saying, I always thought X was quite boring, but actually he, was, he came across <laughs> really well. That, that's the phrase, came across really well. Yeah. It's almost... We're getting, a, we're getting such good stuff from these guys. We're, we're seeing a different persona to them. I think it's natural to expect when someone's in a job and they're, um, they're not going to be as open and honest as you'd expect. Um, so, and also, if anyone who's listening has any ideas of people they'd like to hear us have, maybe a little bit off the beaten track, people have interesting stories born in the EFL, then do let us know. Because, Or, or if anyone knows anyone. Anyone got any numbers, guess, email addresses? Um, let uh, us know. Yeah, absolutely. We've got one more coming uh, this week and hopefully some more in the coming weeks as well. If you want a teaser as to who it might be this week, there'll be a, a, a hint of sorts at the very end of the podcast. So those of you who listen to the end will be rewarded. This is, George, our 73rd podcast of the season. I worked out earlier that we, between May 2016, when we released our first podcast, and June 2018, at the end of last season, we did 74 podcasts. Uh, that's about 25 months. Um, in the eight months since July 2018, uh, this is now our 73rd. So some of you guys have listened to us speak for, let's say, three days worth of your life in the last 18 months. Legends, idiots, I don't know, but uh, we're very grateful for it. And uh, yet we haven't missed a Monday show this, uh, this season, which if you'd, if you'd said that to us this time last year, we'd have found amazing. Uh, we're going to get straight into the championship action and, and where else to start but at the top. Uh, there were big wins, really, for all three at the top of the championship and varying degrees of impressiveness, I think, George, it's fair to say. We're going to start with the league leaders 
Norwich because Bristol City came to town. Uh, Bristol City, very much the flavour of the month. The only team in English football that had won every game in the EFL or in the league, rather, in 2019. They'd won five of their last six away games. And as we know, the streakiest team in the land. Uh, But Norwich win again, 3-2. It wasn't easy. But this feels like another big, big victory for them. Yeah, a a massive victory for them. Uh, To come back from behind twice to go ahead and, and win the game against a team who... You know, if Bristol City had won this game with the games in hand they had, they were only a couple of points behind Norwich if you took those as, as, as three points, which is obviously a mistake to do. But it just shows that this game was a game that not only kept Norwich at the top of the table, it kept a potential challenger at bay and doing so with amazing, uh, with, you know, in incredible fashion. To see McLean as well, who's come into the team, kind of a forgotten man, um, a player who they bought from from Aberdeen for £300,000 in January and they bought him for £300,000 despite the fact his contract ran out at the end of the season and loaned him back to Aberdeen. Mm. So they were so keen on securing his services that they paid that money up front just to ward off any other potential suitors. Um, obviously injuries meant we haven't seen him much at the beginning of this season but he's really coming into his own now and, and fantastic finishes for the goals. Um, it's, it's another example of, of Norwich having this pool of talent that just be, goes beyond, I think, any of our expectations. Uh, every player who comes in from the cold, every player who, who was a squad player previously is now performing at a level that is just better than I, I think many of us expected. And that was just shown again in this uh, in this important win. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, McLean stepping in. I, I think from what I've read from Norwich fans, uh, probably, and it's hard to ask this because of the quality of play from the likes of Leitner and Vrancic, but those guys missing at the moment, Tetty as well, a different type of midfielder. And McLean probably not offering quite as much in terms of passing through the lines and, and progressive passing. But in terms of a set of finishes with both feet, um, certainly more than you'd expect from from your central midfield player. So um, completely spot on from you. Uh, I thought Onel Hernandez was absolutely brilliant in this game as well. And a credit to Bristol City, they they played fantastically well. And, and you know, we try sometimes to look just past the, the, the final score and, and at performances and what they can suggest. This was not a, a damaging defeat, I don't think, for Bristol City, especially with Derby losing in midweek to Millwall uh, and a game against Nottingham Forest uh, that hasn't happened as we record. So not a terrible uh, week for Bristol City despite defeat. In fact, quite an encouraging performance. But Ono Hernandez was, was kind of the difference. I feel like Bristol City did well to disrupt Norwich's passing game. Uh, but his individual quality specifically, more than most, um, helped to sort of drive them forward, helped to, to create chances where they were, they were struggling uh, in their normal sort of processes. Um, you said that uh, they were able to keep Bristol City at bay. Uh, talking of bay, Calamo Dowder. <laughs> it's a great segue. Uh, <laughs> what an unbelievable goal. Yeah, brilliant finish. Um, probably not the brightest idea to shush the home fans when you've scored after 37 minutes against top of the league. <laughs> I wouldn't really recommend that. Um, but, it, you know, great to see him coming into his own. Is it bittersweet City. for you as Not at all. No, 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 not at all. Um, I mean, he, he left at a time that, that upset a lot of Oxford fans, but you can't deny it was the right decision. Now he's playing for a a team who could feasibly be in the Premier League next year. He's um, taken his time to to show the form that we know he's capable of, but he's starting to do so now. I remember initially Bristol City fans being concerned that he lacked kind of the flair or the attacking intent. And that was surprising to see because he's a player that I've in the past, you know, described as similar in terms of playing style to Gareth Bale, who, <laughs> who lacks neither of those things. But I think we're starting to see now that he does have basically the whole package in terms of what you're looking for in a winger and uh, and the control, the skill and the finish were, were really, really good. But I mean, just pointing out now another 
string to Norwich's bow. Um, there's, you know, this is a Bristol City team buzzing on confidence. And whilst it was a fairly even game, um, they still Norwich still managed 16 shots um, inside the opposition's box, 13 in the penalty area, three in the six-yard box. So really consistently getting into good areas. And if they can do that against this Bristol City team, who we've um, I've certainly been surprised by their defensive solidity. Um, they're a team who at the beginning of the season I thought would be so reliant on their goal-scoring exploits. So to see Norwich do that, um, it's just another example. Uh, it just shows me again that people who continue to undermine them and, and to think they're going to fall away this season do so um, with mistake. I, I think that they're the real deal and it's going to be a fascinating run-in. We were blessed with some excellent goals in the Championship this weekend and uh, there was something like 16, 17, 18 Championship goals within about 20 minutes of play. It really was a fantastic weekend in that sense. Uh, and O'Dowder's goal, uh, he obviously drove from the halfway line, but there were three touches in particular that were just unbelievable. Um, two in quick succession to, to, to play it between the two defenders that had come inside to try and tackle him. And then with the next touch to create the space for the shot, which he put unerringly into the corner. It was truly top, top, top quality stuff. If you haven't seen that O'Dowda goal, uh, guys, please go and check it out. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. And since he's truly been fit again and, and, and made his way into the Bristol City starting 11 back in uh, November, um, they've barely lost a game and he's been an absolute star man. So I know there's a bit of worry about him signing a new deal. His contract's up, not this summer, but the one after. So there's always that interesting question. Uh, will he sign one? If not... Is it worth us selling him now, trying to bring in five, six, seven, eight million pounds, or do we risk losing him for free the year after? It's a, it's a, it's an issue for Bristol City at the moment. But uh, uh, great to see O'Dowda playing well and a, and a former Oxford man, uh, as George noted. Another big win, another fantastic performance. You have to say, came from Sheffield United, and when we talk about the title challenge uh, it, it's more and more and especially after this result beating West Brom who were in fourth it feels like we're all talking about three teams going for two spots so Sheffield United beating West Brom at George on Saturday evening remember when they conceded three in the last ten minutes to Aston Villa that was about two and a half weeks ago people said that could be so damaging uh, as to potentially affect their promotion bid well three wins to nil since then that has not had any effect on their promotion bit. It's just another unbelievable... You ran out of words for the job that Chris Wilder's doing. We said at the time it was his biggest challenge as a manager. We said at the time that we were going to see the real metal of this Sheffield United team, and we have. And to see them ride out a bit of a storm, I would say, from West Brom here. Um, naturally, when you go 1-0 up away from home at a team like West Brom, who've scored the most goals in the league, you're going to face a bit of a barrage, and that they did. Um, but they held it together very, very well, and, and I think they were good value for their win. And um, as I say, to, to under to have to go through that three-all draw to concede the goals they conceded so late at a you know at, at Villa Park, one of the biggest away games of the season, one of the biggest away days their fans would have come across to come out of that game and to rally the way they have is so impressive. Um, and they look like and they're I having think, a pretty good time in the away end, and, and they're just totally aware that this this game is a proper six-pointer. Um, it's their opportunity to to push West Brom back down to the chasing pack, fully understanding that if they lost this game, suddenly they're probably the outsider of the four. Um, so, yeah, massive result and, and huge, huge credit to them. Yeah, in terms of the top six, Sheffield United have got to play Leeds away on the 16th of March. That is going to be an absolutely massive game. And Bristol City at home on the 30th of March. Norwich 
have played almost everyone home and away. They've just got Middlesbrough to play at home on the 30th of March. Uh, and Leeds still have Sheffield United uh, to play at home. West Brom this Friday at home at Ellen Road, Friday night, and Bristol City away on the 9th of March. So the first few weeks of March, we're going to see some massive, massive games at the top of the championship uh, a couple of s- smaller more more focused points here at Sheffield United in the last few games and we just mentioned three wins to nil in the last three um, but they've been struggling in terms of personnel at the back and uh, when I think of other teams that we talk about across the leagues such as Portsmouth um, they seem to put a lot of importance on um, the loss of two or three key men and that's really derailed their season well Sheffield United started this game at West Brom as you say the top goal scorers in the division with a back three of Craney, Egan and Ender Stevens. Craney very much um, second or third sort of reserve centre-back. Stevens, the left wing-back normally shifting inside and Egan uh, who had to come off at half-time, the only one who you would say would normally part of that back three. So to keep another clean sheet and essentially to be playing backup players or players out of position and not to look truly troubled, I think that's really the the main takeaway here. And I, I wanted to ask you about West Brom I think we've really flitted either way in the last few weeks you've been um, fairly consistent not thinking that they were true challenges I allowed myself to get a little more carried away in the last few weeks and think they could punch their way into at least the the, the conversation around the top three but I, I watched this game and found myself wondering and I know this is an overreaction whether they might be better without Dwight Gale uh, and I, I think I know what you're going to say because I know how highly you rate him but the way they played in the two games he was banned after being banned for simulation and the way they played, especially going forward, well, in fact, at the back as well, trying to crowbar him and, and Rodriguez into the same team. We've spoken, or you've spoken a lot about not being convinced about the way they attack despite scoring goals. That, this is what it comes down to for me. When they, when they play in the same team together, I feel like as a team they attack in a much less efficient way. And uh, certainly... In the defensive sense, it doesn't help either. I mean, there was no width to their defence, which meant that once Craney stepped into attack, poor Kieran Gibbs had practically three men to mark. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a totally fair point. Um, it does feel like this West Brom team, and you know, I've, I've spoken before about my, my concerns over Darren Moore, and it, and it does feel like given the, the embarrassment of riches they have up top, it, they are just throwing attacking players on the pitch. Um, you think of, of Rodriguez and Gerd as being not being a, a particularly um, complimentary strike duo. So as you say, one of them has to be shoehorned out wide, which doesn't really work. But at the same time, a lot of West Brom fans will be listening to this saying, excuse me, guys, we have scored the most goals in the league this season. And those two have started pretty much every single game they've played together. Mm. Um, I, I understand it, though. Uh, I, I think that irrespective of... of I think if, if you are right and if West Brom are better without Gale, I don't think that's necessarily Gale's fault. I think it's up to the manager to play a system that's going to suit you know, one of the most prolific goal scorers the league's seen in the last few seasons. Um, and having Rodriguez in there as well, who's who's been great this season and, and is, a pre- is a Premier League quality striker, shouldn't be a hindrance. So if you are right, it's not the, you know, the blame doesn't fall at the feet of the personnel. It would be the manager and it's pretty hard to criticise the manager for his tactical um, attacking ideas given the amount of goals that they've scored. I agree. But if we just looked at the top line stats, goals scored and, and pure yeah, results, yeah, then course. we wouldn't be, no, we probably no, no, wouldn't no, be agree. three years into a... To I'm basically, a... I'm just used to now <laughs> getting things saying like, oh, he's how you criticise West Brom, he scored the most goals in the league. So you have to tip your hat to those people. Well, one thing that, that we can't argue with is that they didn't find a way to exploit Marvin Johnson playing left wing back. And, and you know from his Oxford days, and I'm sure he's been well drilled by Wilder, that he's not the most 
uh, impressive uh, defensive player and they, they really didn't find a way to make the most of that. No. Um, but moving on to Leeds, not to be rude to Leeds fans, I'm sure they would agree this is the, the least impressive of the three wins. If you had to rank them, they beat Bolton 2-1, they did enough to get the win, but it was not the most convincing, was it? I mean, Bolton, for a team that, that we consider to be... I mean, the second worst in the league, I think it's fair to say, and a team that can barely create chances on the best of days to actually have three or four clear-cut chances in this game. Not necessarily ideal uh, for Leeds. And, of course, the winning goal, a bit of irony in that it was Remy Matthews, the Bolton goalkeeper, with a, what can only be described as a howler. Matthews, of course, a former Norwich City player who Norwich fans really love um, come through uh, the Norwich youth system. Uh, and, and essentially gifting Leeds two points in the uh, in the promotion race. So not at their best, gave up more chances than you would have expected, but they march on. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this Bolton team, I'm going to let you, oh, I'm not going to let you speak for me there because I find them a bit perplexing and they do seem to create chances every so often. They just find it difficult to put them away. I think back to the West Brom game that was live on Sky back in January, a game where they posed West Brom all kind of troubles before they went down eventually 2-0. And that seems to be the feature of their game, really. Um, when they, you know, often we see uh, performances with very little attacking output. Um, and when they do seem to turn up, like in a Leeds game, like in the West Brom game, they don't have the finishing ability or the personnel to put those chances away. Um, I've spoken to Leeds fans and read Leeds fans today thinking they're kind of treading water at the moment. And this was another example of that. And they have a massive game at Loftus Road on Tuesday night against a QPR team that are really, really struggling. And with Luke Freeman, again, a doubt. So that's going to be huge for them. Um, we, we always get told that, that a, uh, a good uh, a sign of a good team is winning ugly. I think that's absolute nonsense. I think if a team is winning ugly, it means they're not deserving to win and eventually that's going to uh, show itself. And if they do lose or if they don't pick up three points on Tuesday night, again, West Brom come right back into it and Leeds and West Brom will be on level. Uh, if they lose the game, will be on level points and level game uh, level games played. So uh, it's a massive result for them. But to get over the line the way they have um, Leeds here is important. Um, they are missing Kimar Roof. Uh, Patrick Bamford is not a player that I, I think is suited by the the fluid system that, that Marcelo Bielsa insists upon. I don't think he has that that agility and uh, and and pace really to to carry off that role. Um, so a huge game coming up midweek. We're not writing them off by any means, but just in terms of talking of the weekend, um, more so than Sheffield United and Norwich, who had such impressive wins. I suppose a few more question marks just looking at those games. Uh, I want to talk about their former player Neil Kilkenny, because Neil Kilkenny. Plays for Perth Glory in the A-League. And, yeah, we've had a, a funny week, really. Um, we haven't got a podcast team to support, or rather we didn't have one to support, but we've kind of found Except one. Except for Oxford, Brentford, uh, <laughs> Forest Green. Forest Green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK, apart from all of the other teams that we support. But um, what I'm saying here is you... <laughs> There's a few parts to this. You love the, the Australian A-League. Yeah. It's one of the things about you that most confuses me, and I think most goes against your like, brand, if there, is, if there is such a brand. But you WhatsApp me about as much about the A-League as you do about the EFL. So just firstly, like, what is it about the A-League that you like so much? I mean, this feels very off-brand to be talking about this, in, uh, but I suppose officially they're not in the top 20 teams in England, so it's fine. <laughs> um, the A-League is, is absolutely bonkers. Um, it's full of uh, a lot of a lot of uh, cards, I would say. Referees like dishing out the cards. They're very aggressive players, so that combination is great. A lot of goals, a lot of comebacks, a lot of terrible, terrible football as well. 
Um, I think my most viral tweet was when I was lying on the sofa at home ill one day and um, and saw something quite extraordinary happen and uh, and, and tweeted about it. Which the old film off, off the quickly. TV job. Uh, yeah, please don't um, come around to my house and do anything Mr. BT Sport. But um, but it was, uh, yeah, so I love it. And, and it's on at great times. You wake up on a Friday morning, a Saturday morning, you want to watch some football, bang on, A-League, it's, it's ready for you. Uh, I, although I do understand that not everyone is lucky enough to have a TV in sight of their desk at work. But, Sometimes uh, I've only got sort of one eye open in the morning. I'm just cr- you know, crunching through my first coffee of the day and George is suddenly messaging me, telling me to put BT Sport on uh, and put the A-League on because there's a, there's a comeback on the cards or something. Anyway, all this leads uh, to me saying that we now support... Perth Glory. Um, that is because Perth Glory, um, to our eyes, completely randomly started following us on Twitter last week. Uh, and that's all it takes, guys. We're so easily led. That's all it takes for us to really get behind something. So if you'd ever wondered which A-League team we support, the answer is Perth Glory. Uh, they're managed by Tony Popovich, former Crystal Palace legend, played in the EFL for two or three seasons. Uh, Neil Kilkenny putting the strings and playing brilliantly. Andy Keogh, who must be one of the great uh, noughties EFL goalscorers, scorers specifically with Reading uh, and others he's banging them in for them as well they're top of the A-League they're they're on their way to the title of course they do have to go through a playoff system in the A-League so we'll be tracking them Uh, if you don't have an A-League team to support um, let this be your arbitrary reason to follow Perth Glory because we are all in uh, and at some point um, if we find like 10 more sponsors we're going to fly out to Perth and, uh, and go to a Glory game. Um, anyway, moving on to Middlesbrough. They had a good win this week. An easy win really against QPR and that's with all due respect. I think it's fair to say that QPR really um, falling away in the last few weeks. Uh, the, the players that we banged on about early on in the season such as Easy uh, are having, well, not an easy time of, of maintaining that form. Uh, Luke Freeman uh, not fit at the moment as well. But I guess with Middlesbrough, we kind of said it last week, uh, they're still playing George Saville and Johnny Housen at wing-back. Um, they've still got John Obi Mikel and Mo Besic providing an impenetrable wall uh, in front of the defence and three centre-backs. And then what I wanted to ask you, George, is that I called Darren Randolph, the Borough goalkeeper, the best goalkeeper in the Championship on Twitter on Saturday. And I got a bit of pushback. Uh, a couple of people saying, what about Jack Butland? Uh, what about some of the other goalkeepers? I suppose it's not one of my strongest opinions. I wouldn't consider myself to be the best goalkeeper analyst out there. I goalkeeper would, pundit. Interesting. But uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this Randolph shout. Uh, I guess when you look at goalkeepers, you have to bear a few things in mind. He does have a very easy gig, doesn't he, in front of that Middlesbrough back four. But is there anyone that you would say, you're wrong, Ali, it's X? Yeah, two players that are on the up, I would say. I think that um, Sam Johnson's a keeper that I used to not really rate at all. I've done a full 360, and I think it's pretty clear that he'll be a Premier League keeper for the majority of the rest of his of his um, career, whether that's at West Brom or not. And Dean Henderson's a keeper who I expect, as of the, as of um, August next season, will also be a Premier League keeper, whether that is on loan from a team from Manchester United or he gets bought. Um, so Do you think I, Butland will be playing in the Premier League? And, and, and Butland's the obvious Because I'm wondering which teams are buying these three champ or buying these three championship goalkeepers. We, well, two of them could, could go up. So right, fair point. <laughs> and uh, and you have to assume that you know Henderson will go back to uh, back to Manchester United and will be loaned out somewhere, mm. um, whether that's Sheffield United again or someone else. Um, but yeah, those are two. I mean, they're three keepers who are, are Premier League keepers in waiting. Um, and for that reason, I'd, I'd have them. And they're you know especially despite what some people saw from Henderson. Um, in the aforementioned Villa game. Um, they're two keepers who are having stellar seasons as well and, and, and are playing big parts in, in why their two teams are in the top four at the moment. 
Yeah, Gareth Cooper, who's a, um, an analyst and focuses on the EFL, among other things, he actually did some, some goalkeeper data analysis. So if you head to at NTT20pod, you scroll down to Saturday. Um, we went through and, and shared that from Gareth because it gives you a good idea of, in terms of the numbers, who's performing well in terms of goalkeeping this season in the Championship. And, uh, and Randolph is right up there. Um, Preston, away, win. Preston away days. I think we it's, need to do a whip around to get you on a Preston away day. Mate, do you know what? I looked at their fixtures about three hours ago to see if there was a Preston game I could go to. A Preston away we, game we could specifically. Go. I'm trying to look now. The only worry is, I'm not sure there's a date that works for me. What about the 30th of March? Reading away. If that's a Saturday though, I'm going to have work, aren't I? Just, anyway. Just get it off. Um, yeah. We, 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 <laughs> I'll be there. We can't get enough of Preston. I'm going. At playing football Curry away from Yellow's home got. and that's no disrespect to Deepdale but we just can't get enough of it the first half at Millwall this is a Millwall team by the way who in the last few seasons have had one of the best records go on or just last year of the season yeah Brentford away yeah that should just be our party it could be a big old party yeah, I mean that, that's basically three years to the day since we started as well wow this is where you hear plans being made I mean that would be glorious yeah I'm, I'm aware that um, my boss at my Saturday job does listen to the podcast. I'm also so making plans for Brentford Preston on final day might not be well, the most... Well, let's just hope he is listening and you get a text saying it's fine, mate. Okay. That's okay. And I don't think I'm going to want to watch Oxford Luton, so we're fine. <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Preston because it was a sensational away day. Alan Brown didn't score this time, so it wasn't a true 10 out of 10. Um, but Sean Maguire did, and he his sort of return to the side and return to goals um, has been a, a part of them taking the next step. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you that rather tedious question. Um, can Preston make the playoffs, do you think? And before you start, let me tell you that the only downer from the weekend, Ben Pearson, booked for delaying the restart in the most Ben Pearson way possible. He'll miss the next two games. But do you think Preston uh, could make the playoffs this season? I, I feel bad for answering this question because if I say, if I say yes, we just know what's going to happen um, with my record here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I absolutely do. Um, there are teams above them that I just can't really have, um, basically, the, the next three. I think Derby are, are... But those teams aren't in the playoffs at the moment. No, so it's not them they need to get above. But it is. I mean, they have to get above them in order to get to the playoffs. They absolutely... I mean, they do. Okay, that's true. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Unless, I unless all four of them are going to go into the playoffs, which I think we can, we can <laughs> certainly say isn't going to happen. Um, I, I can't have Derby. I, I think that, that um, it almost feels like the good work that they did um, last season's slowly being undone by the current um, regime and, and you know Harry Wilson and the, the over-reliance on him is being shown now and uh, and, and you know we've, we've seen with Matt, with Mount basically coming out of the team um, a real lack of creativity there um, Dwayne Holmes not being really being able to fulfil um, that role Birmingham are a team who, who I'm still pretty perplexed as to how they're there but massive credit to them and it'll be a huge huge effort for them to continue a form for a promotion push and Forrest seemingly doing okay under Martin O'Neill but again nothing really to fear mm. for Preston so Preston definitely have the players at their disposal to get there they played a game more which isn't ideal um, but if, if you're thinking of, of just pure points per game in order to, to reach um, what would be needed to get into sixth spot there's absolutely no question that they can do it it's whether or not they do a bit of a Brentford and suddenly as soon as they're getting close and, and given the inexperience of the players um, where they've, they've performed their best this season when the pressure's been completely off uh, that'll be the real test of their metal, but I expect this to continue for for a couple of weeks yet. We're going to get on to uh, Brentford in just a few minutes when we talk to Natalie Sawyer, 
who joins us, a big Brentford fan and a big name, and joining us to talk uh, about the trials and tribulations, I suppose, of, of supporting this Bees team. George, uh, Saeed Benrahma scored the best hat-trick of the EFL season so far. I don't think that's... Best hat-trick ever. I don't think it's particularly up for debate. Uh, that, that last bit is, your interjection, that is probably <laughs> up for debate. Um, but uh, it was quite sensational. Now, we're going to talk to Natalie about uh, about him and about some of the other players and what it's like supporting a Brentford side where you know that the players are going to end up leaving um, sooner rather than later. With, with Harvey Barnes gone, the question that I was asked is, is, is Ben Rama now the most dangerous sort of wide forward uh, in the league? Because he's, he's overtaken Watkins for me, who you'd have said is right up there. He's, he's well, and, got and, and to I be think the, the, the type of player he is kind of fits more into that wide forward mould where, I mean, Ollie Watkins obviously plays that wide for them, but he's more of a, he, he's not, a, I mean, he still beats players very, very well, but he's not as reliant on his pace. He's a very good footballer. He's, he's more physical, I would say, whereas Ben Rama is that guy who, as soon as he gets the ball, you're thinking to yourself, just drive. Um, it's important also not to be carried away by... I mean, I'm a massive fan of his. Mm. Um, he's made me uh, a fair few quid on Football Index already um, since uh, since we bought him. But the fact remains that before be- before this, uh, this hat-trick, he'd only scored four goals this season. So it'd be unfair necessarily to burden him with the expectation of suddenly being an elite goal scorer. However, he has got 11 assists this season, which is an unbelievable return from 19 starts and nine sub-appearances. That is absolutely ridiculous. Mm. And at the age of 23... He is someone who, um, who who you've just got to be really, really excited by. And we'll speak to, to Natalie in a second about, you know, it, whilst it's great for them to be going through this run of form at the moment, um, with the playoffs presumably out of reach, this summer's going to be a horrible one for, for fans who are going to be hoping they can keep hold of these players. But realistically, it's going to be a tough ask. It's a good time to, to just touch on Football Index. And, and those who have listened the last few weeks will know that uh, this is a, a commercial partnership that we started over the last few weeks with Football Index. And we spoke about it uh, at length two weeks ago. Uh, this is uh, essentially, uh, it doesn't quite mirror the London Stock Exchange, but the easiest way to describe Football Index as a platform is the Football Stock Exchange. And if you want to find out more about it, then uh, they've got all sorts of, uh, of, of, of descriptions, information on the website, footballindex.co.uk. But most of you will be aware of what we're talking about. And, and when we first spoke, George, we said, the reason we want to use this platform, the reason we think we could find some value in here is not necessarily what other people will do, trading Paul Pogba and other uh, of the big names in world football. It's actually finding EFL players very cheap on the platform because they're less well-known generally uh, and, and buying into them at the right time. Now, I think it's fair to say, and I don't mean to show off here, that we've both had a pretty good start to our Football Index career. Um, I can't speak for yourself. I'm 31% up uh, since I started about three weeks ago. Now, Ben Rama is a huge example of that, and this is what I guess is our first, uh, along with one of, one of your players and Che Adams that you've invested in, uh, a real bit of evidence into what we thought might happen actually coming to fruition. So Ben Rama, um, uh, on the weekend, started the weekend at about 95p per share, uh, and by the end of Saturday was up to about uh, £1.25, so about a 30p increase. Now, that's why I'm so... Up, I suppose overall so far he's really my big winner uh, as well as James Justin but that's kind of what what we hoped would happen coming to fruition and you've had the same thing with Che Adams in slightly 
different reasons, I guess. Well, yeah, Adam's been linked to, to United and Arsenal was handy. But yeah, I'm similar. Um, I'm up over 20%. I mean, it's great fun to watch. It just it does just feel like you're being rewarded for, for knowing a fair bit about football, which is, I think, what we're all after. So any questions you have or, or any players you want to see put up there or anything like that, just let us know. And, and the offer code, as Ali said, is NTT20. When you sign up in referral, just stick that in there. And when you deposit 20 quid, you'll get a free 20 quid on top of it. So hopefully helping you out get started. Of course, that is for uh, over 18s only. Quick bit of love for Sheffield Wednesday, George. Uh, they had a good 3-1 win against Swansea on the weekend. And we're now five games into the Steve Bruce era. Two wins and three draws so far. Uh, it, it's been a, a positive start for him. And we've spoken before about how it can be an awkward time to take over a club. You can do a lot of damage even when expectations are low and even when you know they're in the position, that weird vortex where they can't make the playoffs, they won't get relegated. But we're seeing with Dean Smith and Nathan Jones to different extents and to different extremes that it's not always easy, put it that way, when expectations are low. Uh, but Steve Bruce, out of, those, out of that lot, has had a good start and, and uh, you know, they did the business against Swansea in the first half on the weekend. I think the key here, um, given Sheffield Wednesday's size of the club and obvious issues off field is this is a chance for Steve Bruce to really get the support of, of the of the fans behind him and the players and, and he's definitely doing that now I think that Sheffield Wednesday will be a much bigger and, and just a tougher nut to crack next season if, if they've got a manager in Bruce who's obviously a big name for this level um, he's got a, a you know a reputation that matches the club if, and if he can go into next season with the fans confident they've got the right man that's going to be a huge huge impact just comparing him uh, I mean I know that Aston Villa fans um, wouldn't put the words inspirational and Steve Bruce anywhere near each other. But the, the, the fact remains that he's, he's won a lot as a manager and, um, and he's getting a tune out of certain players. I mean, Adam Reach has probably added another couple of million quid onto his price tag in the summer, which is important. Um, but we're seeing, and I was shocked the other day when we were asking fans to tell us players that they saw, they could see playing in the Premier League very soon and to have a Sheffield Wednesday fan saying Lucas Zhao was one that just stood out at me thinking mm. like, wow, I mean, that is not something I thought I'd, I would hear. Um, said or, or C said for, for Lucas Wow yeah oh, that is, that's one of mine mate um, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Stephen Fletcher they've got a, a goal scorer whose instincts we see yet again um, are very predatory so mm. it, it's it's good to see um, I mean I'm not in any way um, I don't think this squad has much potential to it really and I think that you know there's no doubting that they're destined for mid-table mediocrity I think any Sheffield Wednesday fans who think they're going to have a tilt at the playoffs um, are probably going to be disappointed. But as a rebuilding job, um, it couldn't have really started much better. Yeah, Adam Reach already talking openly in the press about saying, well, we're all sort of waiting to see who's going to be kept on and who's going to be let go because we know there's going to be big upheaval in the summer. We mentioned Che Adams uh, when talking about Football Index, uh, a brace for him on the weekend. Um, more fuel to the suggestion that he could be the best all-round forward in this division, if not necessarily the best finisher or the best poacher. Uh, but in terms of what he offers off the ball, in terms of the link-up play that he's shown with Djukovic, in terms of potential as well as a young player, um, doing himself no harm. And uh, I think Blues fans will be disappointed not to have beaten Blackburn. Uh, a good point, you'd say, away from home for Rovers on the weekend. We had three more draws. Villa and Stoke was always going to be a draw. 29 between them now in 68 uh, games uh, between them this season. Wigan and Ipswich drew 1-1, which probably wasn't ideal for either side, even with Ipswich down to 10 men and going 1-0 up and holding out for so long. You have to feel like Wigan 
do need to improve their form uh, if they're to, to be sure of of not getting dragged into anything. Uh, their home form was so impressive previously, but a one-all draw against Ipswich, not good enough, even if they did dominate play. Uh, and Reading and Rotherham, a one-all draw. A nice bit of needle in that one, Georgia, in terms of style of play. Jose Gomez, certainly not a fan of Rotherham's direct style. Um, and, and Paul Wan, not a fan of Jose Gomez having a problem with it, which uh, I think is probably the side that we fall yeah, on. Poor Jose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's a it's a relegation fight. I mean, to to come out criticising an away team who've managed to nick a point off you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, if I was him, I'd take a I'd take a leaf out of that book and learn from it, and, and probably use the same tactics next time they're losing on the road. Yeah, they were always going to score from a set piece in that game, weren't they? Rotherham and, and Semi Ajayi did the business, and we're going to talk to Natalie Sawyer now. We're absolutely thrilled to get. Um, uh, someone as respected as Natalie uh, in the broadcasting industry to, to join us. And when you talk about um, fans of EFL clubs who are also uh, fantastic broadcasters and, and, and very well known across the football world, uh, it's a massive coup for us to get Natalie on the podcast. So we spoke to her about um, being a Brentford fan uh, and, and essentially supporting a club like Brentford, which is run a little bit differently uh, to other clubs in the EFL. So yeah, we're very, very honoured and chuffed to have you know a legend of uh, football broadcasting in recent times, and very you know pretty one of the EFL's most famous fans at the moment of, a, of an EFL club, and Natalie Sawyer, who is of course a Brentford fan. And Natalie, it's been a, a topsy turvy season. It always is with Brentford. It's never easy, um, but on the back of a five one win um, against Hull, I mean, are the are the fears about Thomas Franks? Uh, rain allayed and, and, and what are the you know what are the realistic expectations of this for the season can you do it well do you know what I think the performances of late especially in 2019 have been quite impressive for Brentford we started the season really well under Dean Smith um, we were second early on in the, in the season then we sort of tailed off and it, there were a number of reasons as to why that but you could suggest that happened but um as it is, with Thomas Frank, I was very keen on Thomas Frank getting the role when Dean Smith went to Aston Villa because he'd been there for so long and, and was well accustomed to, to the way we work anyway. Um, and I think right now, after that 5-1 win over Hull, there is a huge optimism around Brentford right now. We're all very excited about what could happen with this team. Obviously, we want the team to stay together. I know we're a team that often sells, but we're very excited. And actually, there is still talk of the playoffs, which might seem a bit ludicrous to some, but there's always one team that sneaks in and sort of, you only have to look at Fulham, for example, last season, who just went on this amazing run that ended up getting into the playoffs and we know what happens after that. Well, I mean, Ali and I did predict you to get automatic promotion this season, so nothing that you say can shock us at all, Natalie, but um, <laughs> but you, you mentioned that you're, you know, you're a club who, who, who've sold in the past and just a quick look at the talent that you, you've got at the club at the moment. Um, Neil Morpé, of course, his goal-scoring exploits, 19 goals already this season in the league, have been well-documented. Yeah. Said Ben-Rama looks a player who could play at any level at all. Ollie Watkins, a very promising English player. And <clears throat> even you've got the likes of Rico Henry as well. I mean, the oldest player in the club, really, who starts week in, week out, I think, is, is Romain Sawyers at 27 years old. And, of course, Henrik Dalsgaard at 29. So all these talented youngsters, is there not huge concern that as it's finally now clicked under Thomas Frank... I mean, what's going to happen in the summer? Can you keep hold of these talents? Well, it is always a concern. I have to say, I hate the transfer window as a result, even though it helped me in my career. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, there's always that concern that we'll sell, but we only sell for the right price. We don't sell cheap. And, uh, you know, as much as I would love to say we would keep hold of a, of a team that is doing well and has potential, at the end of the day, we are just, we're a club at that moment, at this moment, I should say, that we do sell, um, but we sell for the right price. You only have to look at Chris Meppham, for example, who we sold to Bournemouth. You know, we, we made £12 million out of that deal, which is pretty impressive for, for a player that had only just emerged into the Brentford first team. I understand the business model. I understand why that happens. It does sadden me that it happens because, obviously, I'm a fan for, first and foremost, but I, I do understand that that's what our model is at the moment. We, we look to replace the talent we sell on with sort of, uh, cheaper talent that we then can sell on for a higher fee. And at the moment, it sort of works in terms of what we see on the pitch and the money that we recoup from the, from the sales. Um, would I love us to stick together as a team going forward for next season? Absolutely. But the problem is when you've got someone like, as you already mentioned, Neil Mope scoring bags of goals and Saeed Ben Rama having a fantastic 2019, it's uh, only inevitable that other clubs start looking at them. That's it. It feels like uh, there will be many sets of fans for whom constantly losing their star players each summer and sometimes in the January transfer window as well might be slightly less understanding. And, and it, it, it strikes me that the, the way that the team, or rather the way that the board and the, the, the people who run the football side of the business and the, the owner, Matthew Benham, have been quite good at at least explaining themselves, explaining the reasons for things. And that can go quite a long way with fans to to allay the real frustrations, which you can understand, of, of losing those key players. Um, I wonder if you could just talk a bit about the, the, the stadium plans for Brentford. Obviously, B's fans listening will know all about this, but for a lot of uh, fans of other clubs uh, across all divisions, given that Brentford have played across all three leagues over the last, well, over the last, in their history, uh, for many fans, they'll, they'll be aware of, of an away day at Griffin Park, of the terrace um, uh, behind the goal and, and all that sort of thing and might be a bit dismayed to hear that Brentford are moving into a new stadium but uh, is that viewed by yourself as a fan as very much something necessary or will you be a bit sad to leave Griffin Park? Well, first of all I will definitely be sad to leave Griffin Park because obviously that's all I've ever known as a Brentford fan as will any Brentford fan tell you but I think we're also realistic in knowing that if you want to be a success on the pitch you've got to have a stadium that is successful off it Um so the good news for Brentford and, and for any fans that come down to Brentford is it's not going to make much of a difference in terms of your travel. We're only, uh, what, about a mile away, our new ground from Griffin Park. And if anything, the transport links to where the new ground is, is much better. I think we're going to be the club closest to a railway station. I think at the moment it's Old Trafford, but we will beat that by, I forget what it is now, but, but, but say by a few yards, we'll certainly beat that. So... Um, and that's the real that's the real league title as well, isn't it, Natalie? That's what everyone wants. All the fans they want to be the closest to a, to a state to a station. Uh, well, I know, I know, it's not <laughs> the two all end all, is it? But um, but you know, it's it. I think it is necessary for us. If you, you, I love Griffin Park. I love that it's an intimate ground. I love that you know you feel like you're right on top of the play when you're sat in the stands, and if you're standing on the terrace, it's not about you either, really. You feel like you're really right amongst it, and I think in some some ways it can be quite intimidating for an away team um, especially with the away team dressing room and things like that I know that with the new ground it's going to be a capacity that's say 8,000 more than Griffin Park it's still going to feel intimate that's something they were very keen to continue with so I feel like as much as we're going to be leaving Griffin Park and all of that that goes with it there's still going to be an element of that at the new ground I feel like it's just going to be a new stadium and something that 
we do need because Griffin Park is old, bless it, and it <laughs> probably passed its sell-by date in terms of other teams around us who have got these brand spanking new stadiums and you only have to look at the likes of Brighton, what they achieved, what Swansea achieved, what Hull even achieved as well when they um, got their new stadium. So that's the sort of plus points that hopefully a bunch of fans can take on board, knowing that actually sometimes a new stadium does bring about success. And we've mentioned, you know, the, the top class playing squad and the recruitment model and, and also now the new stadium um, under very, and a very ambitious owner in Matthew Benham. And I remember when I was on uh, on your show kickoff on TalkSport as well, I mentioned that I, the only way I could see this ending realistically was going to be with a promotion to the top flight. Given the ambition and given all the changes at the club, how, do you feel as a fan that it's, it's kept, the club's kept its identity? Do you feel like it's still the same Brentford? Are you enjoying the newfound success? No, I am. I think I don't think there's any Brentford fan that would turn around and say they're not enjoying what they're seeing. Apart from obviously the, the, the dodgy period, if you like, we had this season where Thomas Frank took over and he, he he couldn't buy a win. He just could not get a win, bless him, for the for his first few matches in charge. And there were a lot of Brentford fans already very early into his tenure suggesting he should get the sack, which I definitely was not in favour. I didn't agree with at all. We were a club in transition, having lost Dean Smith. We unfortunately, obviously, lost our director of football, who sadly died. And there was a lot going on behind the scenes as a result of that. But Thomas Frank has somehow been able to change things. He's changed the mentality of the squad as well. That was something he was very keen to work on, the mental side of the squad. Because as much as we do have some experienced heads in that team, we are a very young squad. And he changed the formation as well from a 4-4-3 to a 3-4-3. And we're reaping the rewards as a result. And it's really entertaining football. And I don't think we've lost our identity in any way. I think, if anything, we're just, we're just more exciting to watch. Because the old Brentford that we used to have, and don't get me wrong, we had great times under Martin Allen, for example, in terms of results and getting to playoffs and things like that. But the football wasn't great. Right now, we're having great football. And I think Brentford fans are just loving it as a result. Well, thanks so much, Nasty, for taking time, the time to speak to us. Um, hopefully we'll speak to you again when Brentford are in the playoff final and we'll get you on to, to preview that. But uh, fingers crossed for the rest of the season and thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd say, George, in League One, which is where we go to now, um, at the top of the table, it's a pretty straightforward week, isn't it? There's a lot of draws and it was a, a really good week for Sunderland. Um, they won 2-0 against Bristol Rovers and they saw Luton draw on Sunday with Coventry. They saw Barnsley and Portsmouth draw with each other. And, and for Sunderland, they're in the midst of this absurd run of games, partly because of uh, postponements uh, on international breaks, a postponement with Accrington due to weather back in the day and also their checker trade trophy run. Um, this was their fifth game in 14 days. And if you stop at the halfway point of those five games, it started with a draw at Oxford, a draw against Blackpool, and they're 2-0 down to Accrington. So actually at that halfway point, things were very, you know, the worries were truly creeping in. So to be sitting here with them having got a point against Accrington and following up with two wins last week, uh, it is a feeling of optimism now uh, around the place, around the Stadium of Light, and they've moved closer to the top two. Grant Ledbitter, we've got to talk about, he's improved the team in every way. Um, and, you know, when you talk about... In, in one massively particular way, on top of... I mean, obviously, he's a great player at this level, and there's no denying it, but, I mean, the set-piece stuff is absolutely unbelievable. Well, explain. 
Well, I mean, they've scored five set pieces since he came in in January. And they didn't score any before, no. did they? <laughs> so it's it's great. I, I, again, not being down on Sunderland at all because it, it's it's a, it's a huge skill to have. But you know, I'd be a little bit concerned about being too reliant on set piece goals because no nobody scores thirty set piece goals in a season, which is the rate they're running at at the moment. But um, you know, he's a great player, and there's a, there's a reason why. Um, he's played most of his games in the champ- in the championship, and uh, and they're reaping the rewards of having him in there. Yeah, this feels like a little bit like I think when Frecklington dropped down the leagues to join Lincoln. This is one of those slightly unusual signings, which it doesn't really make sense in type of the ca- in terms of the caliber of player they are. Um, but when you find more out about the personal side of things and and his relationship and history with Sunderland, that's why he he dropped down to League One to play with Sunderland and and why Middlesbrough were sort of understanding of that and and so happy to let him go. Really, I mean, as well as getting Janobi McKellen, who's been sensational. Um, uh, but he's improved the team, as I said, in, in so many ways and not just through set pieces, but also um, as a character, as a leader on the pitch and organiser. Uh, and Megidi, who's been doing that for 10, 15 games now, really seems to be the difference uh, in those tight games. And he was again at Bristol Rovers. I think uh, uh, Bristol Rovers fans who, who would have watched that game like many others and thought, you know, there wasn't a massive gulf of class on balance of play, um, but perhaps in terms of the, the players that could really do something special, uh, there was only ever going to be one winner. And, and McGeady uh, bending in a beautiful free kick. There's 10 goals and five assists for him in 25 games this season. He scored in the last three games. So it was a great result for Sunderland. We've got to focus on the bottom half of the table because basically every result mattered. And uh, there are now a few teams who won on the weekend who a week ago we might have been a bit gloomy about, Oxford included, but of who... Who, who won and now are outside the relegation zone. So Gillingham, Walsall, Shrewsbury and Oxford are moving above the zone. Um, let's talk about Walsall first because this win against Bradford 3-2 made no sense from a Walsall point of view. They'd lost five in a row. They'd lost seven of their last eight. And after six minutes, they go down to 10 men. And after 10 minutes, they go 1-0 down. So to score three goals after that, having not scored for three games, I mean, this was a... This is why we love football, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't think this is why David Hopkins likes football, given that it was a, it was a game that's driven him to walk out of the club um, at Bradford. But uh, this, I mean, this is huge for them, uh, staring down the barrel of another defeat against a um, against a, a divisional rival to have um, you know a kind of a, a talismanic striker, I would say, sent off after six minutes and being one 0 down to show the strength of character to come back from that, and then not only come back to lead but also hold on for half an hour um, it's it's a massive massive result for them and I think this is a game where if they had been beaten uh, if they had lost the game uh, I mean it would, be, it would be hard to I'd like to hear someone make a case for them staying up mm. basically mm. whereas now you'd have to think that some kind of a, mem- a momentum shift has happened um, and just whether momentum or not, it's a case of the players proving to themselves they can do it, which is something that, given their run of form, seems like it, it had deserted them. They're no, by no means out of it whatsoever. Um, Shrewsbury and Bristol Rovers below them still have a, a game in hand on them as well. But um, and that their, you know, their goal difference is horrific, minus 18, uh, which is the third worst in the league. So still staring down the barrel, but, um, but you'd have to think that, well, I certainly, if they had lost that game, um, especially with, with, with Cook now suspended for a few games, um, I'd have assumed, well, I've been fearing the worst for them, really. There's been a few times in recent weeks where uh, I've said something that you've sort of considered to be a bit of an old school opinion, you know, squad numbers, that sort of thing. Mm. Well, my latest one, the celebration of Gordon, the Walsall player, upon scoring his two goals, you know, 
giving the, uh, you know, cupping his ears to the home fans, the Walsall fans, his own fans, and then pointing at the back of his shirt as if to say, that three-yard tapping, that was Gordon, that was me. Uh, I didn't like that much, I must say. And I don't think that, you know, of course... The, the old Nasser Hussain. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I think Nasser had more of a case, to be honest. He'd been getting quite a lot of stick. That's a terrible knock, though. Um, anyway, um, the, the Walter result, uh, and, and we're right to, to give them credit, but it makes more sense when you read today that David Hopkin has left Bradford. Um, there was a point during his reign around Christmas time where they won four out of five, all to nil. And that prompted us to suggest that they might move towards mid-table, if anything. That's not been the case. Um, what do you think about the issues here? Um, it's, it's a nuanced thing, isn't it? Uh, there was a, a big issue with one of the former co-chairmen, Edin Reich, who was kind of running the club and not doing a very good job of it. And he was moved away. He, he left the club. They've still got um, another German in, uh, as chairman in, in Stefan Rupp. And of course, he, he's taking a lot of the blame for what's happened. But I felt like with Rahic gone, the suggestion was that the club was going to be moving towards a more even keel. But it's clear that such was the upturn in, in or such was the chaos rather over uh, last summer and the appointment of Collins, for example, over the summer. It's going to take a bit more undoing. Now, I, I guess my question to you is, Mark Douglas, who's a respected journalist uh, who covers uh, Northeast teams, but is a Bradford fan, he said... The next appointment should be with a view to rebuilding in League One rather than a short-term gig. Uh, but there's still 12 games to go. They're three points off safety. Do you, do you agree with that? Or would you be looking for a, a sort of more of a short-term fix, trying to stay up, which is still eminently possible, especially, and we keep banging on about it, when you look at the players at their disposal? I just don't think that there's a, a distinction really to make there. I mean, I understand that some managers come in and, and get a reaction very quickly, but at the same time, there's no reason why someone who's brought in to do that job can't be a long-term fix. Anyone who's listened to the Paul Hurst podcast that you did will know that he came into Shrewsbury when they were saving off relegation. Not only did he succeed, succeed in turning them around, but he then led them to the brink of the championship. Chris Wilder took over Northampton Town when they in the relegation zone of League Two. They went up the next season and the rest is history. There's there are manage good managers, managers who are basically better than the level that they're managing at, um, who have a, a career higher up in the pyramid, will come in and, and have an effect. So there's no reason for me why. I mean, all three of the guys that, or, or all three of the guys that we've interviewed, who are um, who are currently out of work, in, in Daryl Clark, Paul Hurst, and Michael Appleton. I don't know if any of them would be interested in the job or not. Um, I think that Appleton probably wouldn't, given the ownership issues and given what he said to us about the owners being more important than the league um, of the next club he managed. But, I mean, these guys would all come in and, and just turn around the, the whole psyche and the, and the the philosophy of the club very, very quickly. So anyone who, who thinks that Bradford should, should appoint someone as a short-term fix to try and inject some life, I, I think that's just, just a bit of a, a, a falsehood. Yeah, very interesting to see that uh, Phil Parkinson is the current favourite, the early favourite for the Bradford job. Obviously, current Bolton Wanderers manager, but there's another part to this, which is that uh, Bolton's owner, chairman, uh, uh, Ken Anderson, has said that he has, um, well, he's essentially loosely offered uh, um, a bid for Bolton, uh, potential new owners there. Uh, and as we know, sometimes new owners come in with def different ideas of how to run the club on, on the football operation side. So I guess the, 
The suggestion, uh, with Parkinson being installed favourites, is that he might be out at Bolton and having a tough time there at the moment with new owners coming in. Uh, and, uh, and of course, with a link to, to Bradford where he managed for five years, um, uh, not too long ago, and uh, a club that very much reveres Phil Parkinson and a club that he'll have um, fond memories of. So he's the current favourite. We had some other big results in League One. Uh, Plymouth beat Rochdale 5-1. Now, Plymouth woke up um, on New Year's Day. I was going to say woke up with a hangover, but I got confused between myself yeah. and uh, footballers, <laughs> professional uh, athletes. They woke up on New Year's Day at bottom of League One, and, and here we are um, just, well, not even two months later. They're in 14th. They're seven points above the relegation zone. So you have to say it, it's another unbelievable mid-season turnaround from Derek Adams and, and his Plymouth side. Freddie Ladapo scored two. <laughs> he only scores in batches, uh, doesn't he? he uh, he's, he's only scored in nine league games this season, but five times out of nine, he's ended up scoring twice and, and some very well-taken goals. Uh, who else, George? Uh, Shrewsbury beat Posh. For Peterborough under Darren Ferguson, a bit of a strange start. The third time in his first four league games that they've had a first-half red card. This time it was Ivan Tony for one of the great handballs on the line. Um, and, uh, and Shrewsbury, to be fair, who, who have their own issues and fans really questioning um, whether they're good enough to stay up. But they did do the business against 10 men, unlike Bradford against Walsall. Tyrese Campbell looks very sharp, doesn't he? He, he was, does. He was in match day squads. He was starting games for Stoke at the start of January and then by the end they shipped him out. Yeah, it was a surprise to see him go there. But he's definitely, I mean, we've spoken on and on about the, the need that Shrewsbury have to have a, a finisher and it looks like they've got it in the, in the son of, uh, of Kevin Campbell. Yeah. But it's just funny. I mean, I, I smiled when you said that Shrewsbury fans are concerned if they're good enough. I'm pretty sure that Gillingham, Walsall, Shrewsbury, Oxford, Bristol Rovers, Rochdale, Bradford and AFC Wimbledon fans are all convinced that their, that their team is going down. Okay. As far as I can see. I mean, you, You're the one that provides the insight into being a fan of a well, League One relegation threatened team. because, you know, um, for example, Ed Hawkins, who's a, who's a very bright guy, who's, who's been on the podcast before, he did the piece for Bleacher Report about Chris Wilder on deadline day. And, and an Oxford. And he's an Oxford fan and he's a, he writes um, betting columns for, for, for Betfair and Metro. You know, he tweeted me the other day saying, you know, we're destined for relegation and we've got to think about, about next season too. And I'm there saying, we're 11 to 4 to go down. Like, it's not... I think everyone down there is 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 basically so poor and so short of form. And I don't think many the, people the take the bookies odds though uh, with as much seriousness as you do because for many it's a pure uh, you know well, for the, many the, the the insight is more of an emotional it's exactly. more of a gut feeling of course it is because uh, naturally as a fan you're not if you're second or third all you basically look at is the teams around you and their results when you're down at the bottom because you're so poor you're just completely concerned about your own results and it's and it's easy for you know fans of their clubs to forget that the teams around them are rubbish too realistically and again, a few wins here and a few wins there normally we see a bit of a, a revival we saw a mini one from Bradford um, which we, we, we saw a mini one from Scunthorpe that I think is coming to an end now um, Plymouth uh, have obviously undergone a, a good run but really this is a poor league and there are poor teams down there so good news for anyone listening from Gillingham, Walsall, Shrewsbury, Oxford, Bristol Rovers, Rochdale, Bradford, Nairs, Wimbledon you're all rubbish and only, four, and only four of you can go down so fingers crossed for you it's not your club yeah great win against Blackpool for Oxford um, really going through a roller coaster. Uh, you are as a fan at the moment and, uh, and Gillingham as well we, we must mention they've They've done well, really, since since doing a surprising amount of business on on deadline day and um, really showing some intent, uh, which was 
possibly a surprise to many, Gillingham not a side who have who have necessarily shown that much intent in the transfer market over the last few years. But uh, in bringing in Graham Burke and Leo de Silva-Lopez, who we spoke about last week, uh, and the return of Billy Bingham from injury, uh, have been key players in helping them win uh, 1-0 in tight games in consecutive weeks. And, um, you know, far, far be it for me to say that they're dominating teams and look really, really good. But uh, at this stage of the season, to win those tight games 1-0, um, that, that is a... Uh, a, a character trait of a team that will stay up uh, versus other teams who end up drawing or losing those games. So uh, congrats to Gillingham. And, and just a, a note on a sad day for Wimbledon, really, because having been 1-0 up against uh, Charlton, there was a, a sense that they were going to reduce the gap even further between themselves and, and possible safety. Uh, as it was, two goals from Charlton, a turnaround there, and it, it's seven points again. So uh, I guess... You know, if you're complaining about everyone thinking that their team's rubbish and destined for relegation, well, uh, a thought for Wimbledon fans who are uh, staring into that uh, more of a reality than anyone else at this stage. What about League 2, uh, George? League 2 this weekend. Ah. I never want to. For a second, be... then I thought you were going to ask me about like Caen or someone. I was a bit, bit scared. Well, I think we're all surprised to see Nancy in the relegation zone. <laughs> I certainly expected more from them uh, this season with the quality of their squad. But let's talk about League Two, um, Skybet League Two, the English League Two. Um, it was not necessarily a classic weekend in terms of any sort of shocks, but the top three flexing their muscles wins for Lincoln, Mansfield, and Berry. And MK Don seem to have got over their wobble. Three. Massive wins for them uh, in the last 10 days or so. And they've moved back up to fourth, which I think they will consider to be their rightful position. If not, um, looking up at the automatic spots. I think we've, if I'm honest, probably had a, a sense over the last few weeks that uh, the top three will be the top three now. Um, Lincoln, Mansfield and, and Berry, or maybe not. Well, there's a team and I've done an about turn here. There's a team, there's a massive game tomorrow night in my view in this because I... Despite the fact they're currently in seventh and they're a bit of the way off, I'm getting a little bit excited about Exeter. Oh, nice. Having for a long time uh, not really been. I think going forward, they're starting to really, really click. Um, after that kind of mid-season wobble, um, I think that they are a team just massively on the up and you know the performance data behind their, behind their performances suggests there's been absolutely no drop-off uh, since Jaden Stockley left the club. Um, in fact, they've continued to be be very very good in effect to create yeah, they chances. brought in Bowman from Motherwell he hasn't actually scored but still filling in clearly doing yeah, yeah, some of absolutely. what Stockley was doing and uh, and they go to to Lincoln a Lincoln team that as I said I'm, I'm not quite convinced by at the moment obviously back to winning ways away at Morecambe um, on the weekend but that was on the back of a few draws in a row they haven't lost a game for a while but I just think that as we spoke about the, the West Brom Sheffield United game this is a game where if Exeter can just sneak something here suddenly they're going to crash that party um, because at the moment they are currently in seventh, but they're on 54 points. So they are 11 points behind Lincoln. But if they win this game and propel themselves up to fifth, they'll be just uh, just four or five points off third spot. And, uh, and given the, the momentum they've got behind them, um, they're a team that I'm just pointing at as being one to keep an eye out. Yeah, like it. Like it a lot. It was a good win for Exeter on the weekend. And, and Matt Jay, who's a, another one off the... Uh, off the conveyor belt in the academy, uh, scoring a fantastic goal. I think it was his first league goal for them. So a lot of positive vibes, especially with Hiram Boateng coming back from injury. Um, I just want to talk out of the top three. I want to mention Bruno Andrade for Lincoln. He scored six in four games. And uh, 
someone mentioned he, he got a straight red card about six weeks ago and he was a, the real sort of villain of the piece. There was no real need for it and it was quite damaging for Lincoln. And, and uh, since he's been back six in four, so very much making up for lost time, he was Raheem Sterling's best mate in the QPR Academy. They were considered the two best uh, players in the QPR Academy. Uh, and he's spoken very well, really, about... Uh, what happened next, basically, with Sterling moving to Liverpool, age 14, 15, whatever he was, um, and uh, and Bruno Andrade, who had to drop all the way down, went on so many loans from QPR, never quite found a home, eventually sort of reigniting his career at Boreham Wood in the National League. And, uh, and last year, he was the National League's Player of the Year and Lincoln uh, with a savvy signing because he certainly looks already too good for League Two level, skipping inside players, finishing with both feet from range as well. Looks like a great player. You can say the same about George Grant for Mansfield. We we mentioned that he was poor in that defeat to Notts County last week, but he's back in business uh, as Mansfield picked up a win this week. And Barry Oldham was a good derby, wasn't it? Um, tough tough one for Paul Scholes that have to use his name, remember, legally for SEO purposes. Um, but, uh, but Barry doing the business. And I just wanted to point out... If you go and watch the Barry Oldham highlights, just watch out for the, the, the move that Barry seemed to do five times a game that no one has worked out how to stop yet. And it involves um, Jay O'Shea playing a pass through to the right wing back, overlapping, cutting it back for, for a, an arriving midfielder or a striker six yards out. Uh, and, and on the other side, Danny Mayer drifting in or in the left channel, playing a ball through to the left wing back. Uh, to do the same they really do have that on sort of copy and paste real rinse and repeat stuff for Berry, uh, and it's incredibly difficult to stop uh, what about uh, Yeovil George probably the big win at the bottom and I've certainly um, you know not been that positive about Yeovil over the last few weeks so it's worth pointing out that in the face of some adversity this was a, um, a massive win for them yeah huge win um especially given the new ownership there were initially some some troubles about the um well some concerns about what he's done in the past with with um with his previous ventures but footballing ventures but some in interesting the some interesting sound bites so I, was, I was listening to some brent uh, some Yeovil fans talking the other day and he said that he wants it to be a club where when you say to your wife i'm going to the football she says can i come which is quite a nice way of how he's saying he wants to change. I mean, words are very, very cheap here. But um, but as you say, given the slides, given the new era, it was very important for them to uh, to get this win. And um, and and unlike one like that, and I know that Darren Way also made some changes to the personnel, um, which took a few people by surprise. Yeah. So Johan Arquin, who's a striker, played at centre back, or at least was named as centre back, and he had to come off injured after ten minutes. They also had an eighteen-year-old academy graduate. Uh, Ojo playing left back so it's fair to say this was uh, a team down to its bare bones and and you know really with a fair few obstacles to overcome so really impressive to have kept a clean sheet uh, impressive to have won the game and a massive win for Darren Way I think he, he doesn't help himself at times the way that he spoke in his post-match interview um, but it was just a bit too much I think for the fans what they were looking for was more of a focus on the team more of a focus on the players and how they had uh, battled to win uh, and there was a lot of there was a lot of um, self-congratulating I think that was how the fans saw uh, Darren Way's interview and that's a, a shame really but um, certainly you know uh, we've been sort of waiting for them to move into the relegation zone in the last few weeks Yeovil um, and, and you know they're three points above at the moment still Macclesfield and Notts County it feels like because we are EFL content creators, as some would say, we're, we're kind of always looking for which team can make the playoffs, which team can challenge for the title, which team will um, survive miraculously 
Uh, but actually, it's still Macclesfield and Notts County. Another team who are very much uh, under threat of relegation, George, and it's our, our final word today, is Port Vale. And I just wanted to flag up something that you don't see very often. Port Vale uh, are... They've done something a bit different, haven't they? There's a club statement they released today, essentially listing all of the bad refereeing decisions, key decisions, they say, that have gone against the club during matches. And this, uh, you know, it starts with uh, Lincoln being awarded a penalty on the 14th of August, and it finishes with an incorrectly uh, disallowed goal against Cheltenham uh, last weekend. There's seven incidents in total that they list. Um, and they're basically, they're doing that thing where they're saying, you know, we're just offering constructive feedback to the uh, referees uh, in response to decisions made in, in key situations. But you cannot look at this and think that this is a good look. Like, how has this been sanctioned? You have to think, and we know a few people across various clubs who work in media departments, you have to think that this has been basically decreed from on high um, someone saying we need to make this effort because no media team in their right mind or PR people or marketing, whoever it is, would put this out there, surely. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it just beggars belief. And it's not the first time this season we've seen just baffling um, you know, press releases come out from clubs. You know, the Ken Anderson saga obviously springs to mind as well at Bolton. You see the fans responding to it with, with embarrassment, um, with shame, and it's no surprise really because it's not really the way you want to see your football club portrayed at the end of the day. Football fans are very, are very proud of how their clubs are shown and how they're portrayed, and this is just have this has most of the uh, the aware public laughing at them. So, um, you know, it's part, part and parcel of the game, and to, to point the finger as they are is, is pretty embarrassing. Yeah, spot on. Uh, we're going to get cracking now. We both want to be home by the time Derby and Nottingham Forest kick off uh, in just under an hour's time. Thank you so much to Natalie Sawyer for joining us. Just a quick teaser for any of you who have made it to the very end of the podcast. I mentioned at the top of the show, it's Tripod Week this week. Another episode of NTT20 meets, and I can reveal it's a slight change to the norm. So far, we've spoken to four managers who were out of work. This will be the first episode with a manager uh, incumbent in the position of manager. He manages a League Two team. And the only other clue I'll give is that although George is unavailable anyway uh, to attend the interview, I don't think he would either want to attend the interview, nor would he be invited. Uh, that's all I'm going to say on the matter, but stay tuned uh, later on in the week for a new episode of NTT 20 Meets. Thanks so much for all your support. Any retweets, any shares of this podcast would be massively appreciated. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>